Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 specifically. And I want to just remind you, like uh, we've told you a couple of times already, today is the day of prayer. And we, we started prayer right at 10 o'clock. And I want to forewarn you that I'm pulling out my phone and at 11 o'clock, I've got a little alarm that's supposed to go off. If it doesn't, I need you guys to help remind me. Uh, normally, I turn off my phone during the service. I call it the Caden Heisel rule because Caden used to like to try to call me when I was up on stage just to have fun. And so uh, he was very instrumental in helping me to learn my lesson of turning off uh, my phone. But today, I have it on, so please don't call me right now because it's up here. If you do, I will know who you are because it's caller ID. So there we go. Uh, so 11 o'clock. Whatever we're doing, we're stopping and we're praying, all right? Uh, so uh, today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And as most of you also know, we, we started a new series going through the book of Ephesians, and I'm really excited about that, in part because Ephesians is a, is a really good book to study through, uh, but I'm also excited because I have the privilege of studying through it and also preaching through it with many uh, really good quality guys here at Calvary, and that's been a, a special blessing uh, to be able to do that. The series title that we've chosen for Ephesians is The Gospel Revealed. And that title acknowledges the fact that the gospel of Christ was a mystery for the hundreds and the thousands of years uh, before Christ, leading up to Christ. But in Christ, it was revealed and it ha has now been revealed to us. It was like, the gospel was like a wrapped present under a tree. You know, for previous generations, they knew it was there. They kind of could see the size and the shape. They might have been able to shake it a little bit and get, you know, they had little glimpses of, and ideas about what it was, but they didn't know. It was a mystery to them. Uh, in Ephesians 3, a little bit later in the passage we're reading today, it says the gospel was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. And 1 Peter 1, another book that we've just studied through, it expands on this idea, not just the future generations before, or the uh, previous generations before Christ, not only did they not know, but the angels also did not know. 1 Peter 1, it says that the, the angels longed to look into this great mystery of God's old, uh, his, his unfolding plan in and through the gospel. Now, I can't help but like imagine these fearsome celestial beings like peeking under a curtain trying to see God's whiteboard with his grand cosmic designs and plans laid out on there. You know, it's just kind of like, it's amusing. But it's like this, this is a mystery of, of epic proportions. And we can, uh, we can see that in the book of Ephesians because uh, in Ephesians, it's unique. Uh, the term mystery is listed seven times. Now, that might not seem like a lot to you, but when you go to some of the other mysterious books of the Bible, such as uh, the book of Daniel, the mysterious book, it is listed only six times, and the book of Revelation is only listed four times, all right? So the book of Ephesians has mystery uh, listed more times than any other book through in the whole entire Bible. Now, you can have mystery without saying the term mystery. I get it. But I think that Paul is trying to emphasize not necessarily the grandeur of the mystery, but the grandeur of what is being revealed. 
I think that's why he keeps saying it over and over and over again is because I think he wants the Ephesian church and also for us to fully appreciate what it is that has been revealed and has been made known uh, to the church. Now, I was curious, and this was one of those bunny, bunny trails. They wonder why, you know, it takes pastors like 40 or 50 hours a week to come up with a sermon. It's because of bunny trails like this. I was curious what the word... Uh, mystery was in Greek. And I wasn't, I wasn't curious. I mean, we know what a mystery is. We don't have to go back and, you know, search it and figure out what a mystery is. We know what a mystery is. I was curious because there's different forms of terms. There's different gender-specific forms of words in Greek. And I was really curious if the term mystery would be in the feminine form or not. Have you ever wondered that? I'm not going to tell you this morning because I don't want to like turn off half my congregation to the rest of what we have to say afterwards. Uh, but also, I'm not going to tell you because you can go look it up for yourself and learn to study Greek and figure it out. There you go. So, a um, little, little fun little side bit there for you. But the gospel was this great mystery that was finally in God's perfect time revealed in Christ. I read this story this past week of, of this man, a very wealthy man. He was a, a newspaper publisher, and you might have heard of his name, William Randolph Hearst. He had this vast collection of artwork, um, you know, from all over the world. He had collected it for many, many years. But then he had come across this description of a couple of the other pieces, and he was like, I've got to have those. I've just got, I have to have those pieces of art. And so he sent his agent out to go and scour the earth and find these pieces of art and to go and purchase them and, and bring them back. And after months and months and months of searching, his agent came back. I don't know exactly what he said, but it probably went something like this. Mr. Hirsch, I've got some good news for you. I found those pieces of art for you. And Mr. Hirsch is probably like, yeah. And then the next thing the agent might have said is, Mr. Hirsch, I got some bad news for you. Oh, they're not for sale. And then Mr. Hirsch probably is dejected at that moment. And then he's like, Mr. Hirsch, I've got some good news for you. Mr. Hirsch is probably excited again. And he says, the good news is you already have them. You already own them. They are already in your collection. And you know, to his great surprise, he's excited. He's like, oh. And I, I say that because in this passage, Paul is praying that the Ephesians will know the extent of the riches that they already possess in Christ. They already have them. They don't need to go and search for anything else outside of they have the riches of Christ. They don't understand how truly rich and blessed they are, and they need to know it. Today we are going to continue talking about God, how God has revealed the mystery of the gospel. And I've titled today's message, The Real Prosperity Gospel. Now I've got to give props to my brother Preston over there because we've, we've joked about this since we started like studying through this um, you know, it's like, it's, it's talking about how rich we are in Christ. It's like, this is, this is what true riches are. And just to be clear, <coughs> excuse me, I, when I say the, the real prosperity gospel, I don't want it to be confused with this other thing that's, you know, that, the, that, the false prosperity gospel. You know, the, gospel, the false gospel that says that if you have enough faith and you send in your monthly installment to our organization, then God will make you rich financially rich, and that God will make you healthy. 
That's the false gospel that is being taught all around the world today. But I've entitled today's message The Real Prosperity Gospel because I believe in this passage. Paul really, really, really wants the Christians to know and understand how truly rich and blessed they are in Christ. Right now, you are richly blessed in Christ, just as Ephesians were. And Paul wants you to know that. Uh, last week, John Paternoster did a great job uh, preaching on uh, the first part of Ephesians 1. He read Ephesians 1, 3, and I mentioned it earlier. It said, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Wrap your mind around that. Just to give a brief summary of what John was talking about, we are blessed in the Father. It gives the three uh, persons of the Trinity in this description. We are blessed in the Father who chose us to be holy and blameless. Do you know what that, that is, is what the church means? Church doesn't mean, you know, the little, literal term church doesn't mean an old decaying building perhaps with stained glass windows and a boiler that goes out once a year at least. That's not what the term church means. It's not the building. Church literally means called out once. That's what holiness means, doesn't it? Holiness, you are set apart. You are called out to be like God. Be holy as I am holy. And God chose us to be holy and blameless. He called us uh, in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. And he blessed us with his glorious grace. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the Son who has given us redemption through his blood. Through the Son we are blessed because we have forgiveness of our sins and uh, through the Son, we've made known the mystery of God's will. And in Christ, we have obtained this inheritance, the riches of God. And then finally, we were blessed through the Holy Spirit because we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It is God's mark on the believer's life that you are mine. It's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. They needed nothing else. We need nothing else. We have every spiritual blessing. The mystery of the gospel that so many Christians need to understand today is that you are already rich in Christ. And the way to get richer is to know God more. And you don't need any trinkets or garbage from Earth's souvenir store to prove it. They needed nothing else. That's my first point this morning. Haven't even read the passage. I am ahead of the ball today. We're doing well. First point, as a child of God, you are already rich. Let's go ahead and read this passage in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray as we jump into this. Father, I do pray. I pray to you that you will, you will bless us with this knowledge, that you will help us to see and understand the truth of your word, that we are rich. God, I pray that your spirit will unpack this truth because I can't, no person can. We need you, Lord. And so, God, bless us with the knowledge of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage is a prayer. Paul is, <coughs> excuse me, Paul is writing. He's, he's writing to the, the church in, Ephesia, uh, in Ephesus, and he just stops, and he starts this prayer. It kind of reminded me of Pastor Spencer, who was notorious for doing that. You're talking to Pastor Spencer, and you, you don't know when he, he stops talking to you and starts talking to God. It's just kind of like this really hard line to really understand sometimes. And people who have seen him drive were always scary. You know, guys know what I was talking about. It was always scary watching Pastor Spencer drive, and you're not, you're not sure if that was because he was old or if it was because he was praying. You just don't know. But Pastor Spencer did this a lot. I think he modeled this for us well, this like blurred distinction between conversation and talking with God. Praying without ceasing was part of his life. And I think this is what also what Paul is saying. He's like, I'm praying incessantly for you. And almost to make the point, he's writing to them and then he just stops and he starts, he stops writing to them and he's praying. This is what I'm praying for you, the church, to know. This is one of Paul's uh, four prison prayers. Uh, uh, the other ones, uh, there's one more in Ephesians here. There's one in Philippians and also one in Colossians. And all of these prayers are very similar and not necessarily what you would expect from a man in prison. If I was in prison and I was praying for you, I would pray that you would come and help bust me out of prison, just being honest with you. That's not what Paul is praying for, uh, for the, the church in Ephesus here. If you look at verse 15, go ahead and look in your Bibles, Bibles there. He starts off by saying, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. What Paul is doing right there is he's verifying the authenticity of the believer's faith. That, that is real. How can you be sure that you share in these blessings? How can you be sure this is your rich inheritance in Christ? There's a lot of people who try to go and falsely claim inheritances in this world. How can we be sure that... You know, this is indeed your inheritance, that you have a rightful claim to these wonderful riches. And Paul tells them, this is how you can be sure that you are in line to inherit these glorious riches. He says by this, this is the verification, because I, I have heard the faith, your, about your faith in the Lord Jesus. That is the root of the tree of salvation, that salvation springs from this root of faith. This, that, and it tells us earlier in this passage in chapter 1 here what that faith is. Faith in the redemption uh, through Jesus' blood. That Jesus has bought us. He has redeemed us. He has saved us from our sins. Forgiven us of our sins according to God's grace. That is what the faith is talking about that. I have heard about this faith that you have. 
And I know it's real, not just because I've heard about your faith, but because I've heard about that your faith has fruit. There's the root of the tree of salvation, and there's a fruit of, this, of the tree of salvation. The fruit doesn't mean you're saved, but the fruit shows that that, that tree of salvation is, is rooted in truth and is powerful and real. And that's what we're saying. I see the root, your faith, and I see the fruit that you love all the saints. If, you, if we say we love God and we don't love our neighbor, the love of God is not in us. He's like, I see your love. And that shows me that your faith is real and true. And he has verified that, yes, you are indeed the, these, uh, the beloved of God who are, uh, are going to inherit these wonderful riches that he is going to start unfolding before uh, the, the uh, church in Ephesus here. And Paul is saying, because I see the authenticity of your faith, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17 is really this, this rich portion here. Verse 17, Paul says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. This is core. This is crucial to capture this, this prayer right here. Paul is pray, praying for what I think is the most singularly important thing that we can pray for anyone, ourselves included. It's more important than praying for jobs and cars and money and health and kids and pets and hedges of protection, Chris. This is the singularly most important thing to pray for. To have all those things that I mentioned before, while not bad, even if you have all those things, and if you don't have this, you have nothing at all. Paul prays that they will know God, that they will know his will, know his love, know the hope that we have in him know the inheritance that we have in him, and to know the power that, is God, that God is working towards those who believe in him. Now the gravity of this truth is so grand and weighty that it is impossible for us to understand it on our own. That's why Paul is praying that God will give his spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. They can't understand this on their own. Too big, too grand. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand the proper value of things in life, to truly understand the riches that we possess. If you put down, um, you know, sit down a, a kindergartner, you know, a five-year-old boy, and you put in front of him an ice cream cone, and then you put down a, in front of him a check that's written out for a million dollars, what is he going to pick? I know what I would have picked. That ice cream I know. I know the value of that. I know that. I want to pick this little piece of paper. What value does that have to me? Maybe I'll make a paper airplane, perhaps. You know, but that ice cream, immense value and worth to that young, that young boy there. I read a, a story about a farmer in Pennsylvania, and uh, he sold his farm. He sold his farm, and the guy who bought it from him was going around and, and checking out the farm and seeing how the farmer had set it up, and he left things in pretty good order. But he had come across this, this dam of sorts that was near the creek. And the farmer had created uh, this dam around this bubbling black liquid that was coming out of the ground and was flowing into the creek. And his, his cattle would not drink from this stream because it was getting contaminated with this black, sticky substance that was coming in. And he had dammed it up. And he sold this farm for $800. And the oil that they discovered under the property 
by this new guy that came into it, the oil they discovered was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. That farmer, all he, knew, all he knew was cattle and land, and to be rich would be to have more cattle and more land. He couldn't imagine riches beyond his experience. Paul is trying to help the Ephesians to know and understand the experience, and experience the riches of God that were beyond their experience and beyond their imagination. These spiritual blessings were not like the wealth and blessings of the world that they understood. And that's the mystery part of this. There's something better that you can possibly even know. How do you teach somebody that? How do you show somebody that? How can you get that five-year-old boy to wrap his mind around the immense wealth that's worth way more than an ice cream cone? Verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. This is how you get them to know and understand, is that you don't get them to know and understand. It takes a divine act of God to help them. I pray to God that he will give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and of knowledge of him. This is so beyond us that we can't, we can't teach you that. You know, it's like parents. Uh, well, it's, I guess it's kind of like students. Some of you teens out there who are taking algebra right now, not looking at anyone specifically. A good teacher will only go so far, and Eunice is an excellent teacher, but at a certain point, us as parents are praying that God will work in a miraculous way to open up your eyes to something that we never can. That is what Paul is essentially praying. Is like, I, uh, my teaching will only go so far. What it will, it, it really, in the end, it does nothing. What this takes is a divine revelation of his glory and of his goodness. But Paul prays that God will help the Ephesians to know and understand the value of their spiritual blessings in Christ. So what is the object of their wealth and riches? What is the metaphorical treasure in the field that could possibly motivate a man to give up all he has to be able to gain it? And quite simply, I think I, most of you know that treasure is in itself to know God. Like it says in this passage, spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. To know God is the greatest good, blessing, and gift. There is no greater thing. Like Psalm, 20 says, uh, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want because the Lord is all I need. He is my shepherd, done, game over, that's all I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now to the ancient Greek philosophers and modern men, I think as well, uh, they would say that the greatest truth is to know thyself, right? That's the ancient Greek philosophy that has been passed down through all these years. And honestly, I have to agree. If there is no God, or you can't know God, knowing thyself is a great idea. You know, as disappointing as it may be, what else do you have? That's all you have is to know yourself. But if you can know God then all of a sudden, your best idea of knowing yourself 
becomes the absolutely worst idea possible. To know yourself as a poor substitute for knowing the holy, righteous God, the creator who made not just you, but all things. Now, I want to be clear that when this part of Scripture is talking about knowing God, it's not as like Satan, as demons know God. Uh, they know God like we, you can know honey by looking at the jar on the shelf and it says honey on the side. They don't know honey, you know, in the other way of knowing honey that you dip your finger in and you take a big taste and you taste of its wonders and its deliciousness. The Satanist demons do not, uh, do not know God in that special way as we can know him. And to know God in this way, to taste of his goodness, is the greatest revelation the greatest thing that we can know. I love this passage in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, partly because I'm, I was a middle school boy once. You'll see what I mean here in a minute. Paul says in Philippians, he says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have, a considered, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Everything that I've had before, I've considered to be loss more than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. He lost everything. I suffered the loss of all things and considered them as, in the, the Christian standard Bible, I like the, what the word it uses here. Uh, the ESV says rubbish. Rubbish is good, but I like CSB better because it says dung. It says, I consider everything else compared to knowing God as dung, as poop. That's what it is. Do you see, he's, he's, he's helping us to try to like wrap our mind around the surpassing value of knowing Christ. But he's saying everything else that you know is worthless. How do you convince every, everything, someone that everything that they have is worthless compared to knowing God? There's no way to do that other than a divine revelation. Praying that God's spirit will come and show us and help us to see and understand. Now verses in 18 and 19 start to unpack the nature of God's spiritual blessings towards us. It says in 18 and 19, uh, Paul is praying that you will know the hope to which he has called you. You will know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And that you will know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. I was looking at that list of things, and I thought, this is at the core of human desire, isn't it? You know, we all hope that life will get better and there's something good at some point in time. We all, you know, hope that, you know, there will be riches, you know, sufficient to satisfy our deepest longing and desires. And we hope that there's that power to be able to not only seize hold of those riches and the things that we hope for, but also to be able to sustain that joy that is like, that's core to what the human endeavor and struggle is there. And life is full of things that promise to fulfill this longing. You know, I, I know I was told when I was young, go to college, get a job, make lots of money so you can retire and then you can play. You know, and, and then there's this whole movement of, well, you need to just exercise and be healthy. And if you're healthy, you're happy. And then there's another movement is like, you know what, forget all that. Just do whatever you want, be whoever you want to be. You know, and, and you know, it's like, uh, when I was young, I was, I remember in, I was going through my parents' cupboard and I found some checks. I found a bunch of checks. 
I didn't really understand checks. I was probably, you know, second or third grade. But I seen my parents write checks. And I remember pulling those checks out, and for some reason I just felt like I was immensely wealthy and rich at that moment. And I pulled those checks out, and I started writing checks. I started writing, I've got to stop now. My alarm's going off. Hold on. Remind me that I was talking about checks before. Father God, again, we come before you right now. We stop because everything is worth stopping to know you. Everything else is rubbish. Everything else is dung to knowing you, Lord. God, reveal yourself to us right now, we pray. Amen. What was I talking about? Checks. So I found these checks. I thought I was immensely rich. I started writing out all these checks. I'm like, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I really thought I was rich. It took me a little while to realize, and to be honest, my parents helped me realize (laughs) that I was not indeed rich, that those checks are meaningless unless there's something in the bank to back it up. Those checks are meaningless unless there's something in the bank to back it up. That's, I mean, the ultimate question, isn't it? For all these things that the world offers us, this will give you hope, this will give you riches, this will give you power. Our question is, well, what's in the bank that backs up that check, that promise? What is there to guarantee that what you're saying is true and that it is real? In verses 19 through 23 in this passage, it tells us how we can know when we look at these promises from God that this promise is assured, that it is certain, that there is substance to it. In verses 19 through 23, it nails it hard. It says, and Paul is saying, he continues to pray, I pray that you know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, and this is it, according to, this is the bank part, according to what God has already done, this is the substance and assurance, this is the bank account from which we are withdrawing the riches and the hope and the power that is going to be demonstrated towards you. Get this. Excuse me. He says, according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Did you get that? The bank account, the power, the hope, the riches that raised Christ from the dead is the same source of the promise that God is providing to you for the riches and hope and the power as God's children. Same bank account. He goes on. Same bank account. According to his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. 
He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God raised Jesus from the dead. He seated him at the right hand in a place of kingly authority. He subjected all things, all power and authority and dominion under him. His name is above every other name. All things are under his feet, and Christ is the head of the church. You cannot, you cannot overextend, overwithdraw on this account of power and riches and glory that God is drawing from in this hope that he is providing to us as believers. Are you struggling to wrap your mind around it? Yes. I think we all do. That's why we need divine intervention and revelation into this. Because this is the immeasurable greatness and power demonstrated towards us through Jesus. And it's the same, the same, that same power demonstrated towards Jesus is being demonstrated toward us, those who believe in God. God has already done in Christ what he promises to do in us. How do you teach your children? You know, how do you teach, how would you teach this child, you know, with the, the check and the, and the ice cream cone in front, of him, in front of him? How would you teach him about the value of something he can't comprehend? You, you take him, you know, to the bank and say, look at this check. Let's go cash this check. Now let's go buy a thousand ice cream cones and you'll start to get a small taste and you'll understand the value of this check. He'll speak in a currency that he can kind of start to wrap his mind around just a little bit. How would you explain to the farmer the immense wealth and value of this oily substance that's coming out of the ground? Well, you'd probably take him to a city built on oil and say, look, this oil built this city and the vast riches and wealth of this whole city was built on the value of what they pulled out of the ground, this black oily substance. And God demonstrated his vast hope Love, hope, riches, and power directed towards us by taking us to the cross. He spoke in a currency that we understand. A currency of life and death. A currency that no one has power over in this world other than God himself. He showed us a currency that we can understand. And it's so easy for us to, when we talk about spiritual blessings, to be like, yeah, you're like, Spiritual blessings. I'd rather physical blessings, but you know, if all we can have is spiritual blessing, that'd be nice. God's like totally revamping our understanding of spiritual blessings. If you don't, you know, it's like it's like the ice cream cone in the in that check for a million dollars. It's like you totally got it, you got it mixed around. You don't understand. He brought us to the cross and he's like, let me help you to understand the value of spiritual blessings. Jesus was dead, but now he's alive. Do you understand now? No one else can do that. No one else who says they have power and riches and, uh, you know, or wisdom. No one else can do this. But I did this in Jesus Christ. And this is the power that I am directing towards those who love me. That's what God says in his word. He's helping us to understand the riches that we can't possibly understand on our own. He's using the currency of life and death to help us to understand the immense value and wealth of spiritual blessings. Physical blessings, they're dung in comparison 
to the value and riches of knowing God. In one fell swoop, God demonstrated his immense power, riches, and hope in a currency that helps us to begin to understand the substance of God's promise. John 1, 3 through 4, it says, All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is the single most important truth that you can know because the substance behind the mystery is God himself, the creator, sustainer, all glorious, holy, good, and loving giver of life, and that we can know him. And the proof of the hope that we have, the proof of the inheritance that we can look forward to and the power that God will work towards us is proven in the work on the cross. One simple application this morning is, are your prayers reflecting this prayer that Paul is praying here for the church in Ephesus? Do you find yourself praying more for other things? It's not wrong in and of itself. It's okay to pray for other things, but if our prayers don't include knowing God, if that's not the real focus of our prayers, everything else can go by the wayside. If that's not what we're praying for, we've totally missed the point of prayer. When you're praying, and this is my challenge for you this week, when you pray throughout the day today, Remember to pray, God, I want to know you. Help Brent and Jenny know you. They need to know you more. Sorry to pick on you, Brent and Jenny. But I don't think you would deny that. Whoever you're praying for, whatever needs they mention, health, you know, whether job situations, family situations, whatever you're praying for, say, God, I don't know what you're doing here. Whatever it is, I pray that the, the sole outcome is that they will know you more. Because they can have all these other answers to these prayers, and if they don't have that, they don't have anything. When you're praying, pray to know God more. Pray for people to know him more. That should be the core of our prayers. We can know him.